let's speed them up. Let's accelerate their uh, ability to succeed in college. Who are the players that we would need to bring to the table to have the kind of conversation that leads to the partnerships that you've been discussing? This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. In this episode of In the Know, ACCT President and CEO Noah Brown talks with the head of the Education Strategy Group, Matt Gandell. ACCT is working with Matt on an initiative he's leading called Higher Education for Higher Standards, which seeks to raise the standards for students leaving high school. Matt has a lot of experience in education, including work at the Department of Education and the American Federation of Teachers. I'm pleased to be joined today by my colleague Matt Gandell. Uh, Matt is the, uh, the head of the Education Strategy Group, which is a local group here that works on education issues. Uh, Matt has a lot of experience in education. Uh, he uh, has worked at the U.S. Department of Education. He's worked at Achieve, which is very much related to K-12 and education standards. And he's also worked at the American Federation of Teachers, so he has a very broad set of experiences in the area. But actually, uh, we're working with Matt in terms of another initiative that he's leading called Higher Education for Higher Standards. So Matt, why don't you say hello and uh, tell the audience uh, what is uh, Higher Ed for Higher Standards? Higher Ed for Higher Standards is an initiative that many higher ed organizations have joined in on in the last few years to try to help raise expectations for students leaving K-12 so they're better prepared to succeed in college. And the premise here is that uh, college leaders leaning in on that uh, agenda makes a big difference because it's very hard for K-12 schools to raise standards on their own without support from their partners uh, on the receiving end of the equation in higher education. So this is hundreds of uh, college presidents at the two and four year institutions around the country who have banded together and said, in order to improve what we do uh, in uh, colleges, we need to help improve what high schools do by locking arms and um, setting high expectations for our young people. I think we kind of locked arms a good three years or so ago. Uh, I actually got introduced to this through some other colleagues, including Martha Canner, who's the former Undersecretary of Education, uh, who is on your uh, advisory board as, 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 uh, as I. Um, so we felt it was very important. Um, let's talk for a minute, because uh, I think it's a good way to set the table, Matt. Let's talk for a minute about a report that uh, we worked on and released actually at the National Legislative Summit two years ago called Seizing the Moment. What is in the report and um, what are some of the things that uh, you want to point out uh, relative to trustees and community college boards? Well, that was a really important point. It had, uh, reported a very important point in um, our country's kind of reform movement, and it was called Seizing the Moment, Community Colleges Collaborating with K-12 to Improve Student Success. Uh, so this, again, was at a time where I think community colleges uh, were feeling and are continuing to feel a lot of pressure to um, deliver results for the students who come in, um, certainly traditional students coming from K-12, but also uh, adults who come back. And this was a report to show that you can get better results if you're a community college president or trustee, at least for traditional students, if you reach back and partner with your school districts, your K-12 school districts and high schools, 
to build uh, bridge strategies and programs. Uh, and we looked across the country to find out where that was happening and who had the best models with the best success rates. And that led to uh, the publishing of that report led to a lot of interest among your members, I know, at the trustee level and also uh, presidents of institutions and even some system leaders around the country uh, to um, kind of take a look at what's already going on and how they could uh, uh, up their game in that regard in terms of the K-12 partnerships. So ever since then, we've been fielding questions and supporting uh, institutions and some and a lot of your members in, in trying to take the next steps. Um, and this isn't rocket science. These are ideas that have been in place for some time, but so, sometimes the we find that the, the pressures and the incentives on community college leaders um, are moving in a slightly different direction than the pressures and incentives on K-12 leaders. So it takes an extra effort to, to get together and build those, those common strategies uh, and programs. Uh, so we highlighted a number of places around the country, and the kinds of ideas that we wanted to promote were, first, uh, aligning expectations so that um, rather than in the past, um, K-12 schools, high schools in particular, setting goals to say, our goal is just to graduate a student. Instead, the goal should be graduating a student college ready. Uh, so that student leaving a high school can go into a community college remediation free, for example. Uh, and that is doable uh, if you set your mind to it and you set some policies in place and some partnerships in place with your K-12 schools and your community college systems. Uh, we pointed out the places around the country that were doing that, and then we also pointed out programs to help catch up students who were behind and needed to become college ready before they left high school. So what do those interventions look like? How does that work? How do high, high schools and community colleges work together to co-design those approaches? How do you deal with summer melt uh, for students once they get admitted and they maybe uh, fall off track in the summer? And then how do we align this with really innovative efforts that are already underway in community colleges to rethink freshman year uh, programs and rethink developmental ed so that these things are really synchronized? Uh, and the places that are synchronizing and working together are getting there faster and getting better results for their kids. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is something that actually is within our own uh, ACCT board strategic plan. Uh, one of the planks that we're focused on are these K-12 community college partnerships for all the reasons that you're mentioning, but we must have greater alignment. I was uh, actually on a panel yesterday uh, talking to a group of researchers and higher ed faculty. Uh, I was talking actually about the College Promise campaign, the free and reduced tuition movement. But uh, one of the things that we started talking about, which I think is directly applicable to what you're talking about, Matt, is if you look at our education system, you have all these points of transition, but nobody owns the transitions. Um, and, and by that I mean we get people through high school, they're kind of on their own then as they think about apply for, get admitted to college or come to community college and so forth. There's no one sort of minding that pathway for them in between. and. Um, I think this work is critically important. I talk to boards a lot about how well or how effectively do you communicate your own expectations uh, into the high schools and frankly middle schools. There's a huge disconnect. We talk a lot about being open door, open access institutions, which I believe we are, but we also have standards. 
And you know that, Matt, very well, as do I, that uh, every student that shows up at our doorstep, we test to see if they can pass basic math and, and English uh, proficiency. And tragically, about 60% of them cannot pass both assessments at college level. And so that just speaks to the importance of the work. Can you talk a little bit about um, maybe some of the things that you've seen as you focused on this uh, around the country or within particular school districts or states where uh, just maybe a couple examples of how this is achievable? I mean, some of this work you said, it's not rocket science, uh, but it takes really the village, to use a cliche, to really focus on this and to get all the stakeholders together. Absolutely, and I, I think you're so right to point out this disconnect. Uh, obviously, the remediation challenge is significant. I think this is what got a lot of folks like us to really start leaning in on this strategically, is looking not only at the percent of graduates from our high schools who need to be remediated when they enter community college, but even more stark, if they do need to be remediated, how few of them will ever get a credential. Right? right. One in ten, I think, of community college students who have take remedial courses end up earning a credential. So if you put those two things together, they, they arrive underprepared and the chances that they can get to meet that standard when they're in college, if they're that far behind, are pretty, pretty low. We really have to do something about it. So I know that's why you joined with us and are on the advisory council for higher ed for higher standards. But the good news is, as I said earlier, this is doable if we put our minds to it. So just to give a few examples of programs that we've seen um, in uh, in existence, so one one strategy um, is uh, we're calling it speed up catch up, and we highlighted this in in the report we did together. Um, it's what you do with students at the end of high school. So we call it speed up catch up because the speed up part we think is really important for students who are kind of on track to graduate, uh, ready to enter college. Let's speed them up. Let's accelerate their uh, ability to succeed in college by giving them opportunities to earn college credit in high school and take more demanding courses. So we've seen a, you know, a, a, um, a great increase across the country in dual enrollment programs, for example, in that strategy. And we see it starting to pay off. Uh, now we see more creative approaches to dual enrollment where you're trying to make sure it's accessible to um, all students, not just the more privileged students. So how do you have kind of an equity focus to, to dual enrollment as you're growing it? But there are states like Indiana that have, you know, exponentially grown the percent of young people who go through uh, and, and earn dual enrollment and, you know, go into and succeed in college as a result. And you take a, an institution like Ivy Tech in Indiana where they're seeing great results based on that partnership. So that's the speed up. And I think there's a lot more work going on around the country on that. The catch up part is what happens for a student who's not ready by the end of 11th grade, who's too far behind to make it in college. yet. They want to go to college, as most do. What are you doing in that senior year? So um, I think it's uh, CUNY, for example, in New York City, devised a, a 12th grade course in math and English that if you're not yet on track to be college ready at the end of 11th grade, you're placed into that course and through agreements with, um, that, with CUNY and the K-12 school system, if you pass that course, you're automatically enrolled in credit-bearing courses in CUNY. The same things, thing exists in a few other parts of the country. Uh, Tennessee built that model statewide. It started at Chattanooga Community College with one college and one school district, K-12 school district. It was so successful, they grew it statewide. 
So now everywhere in the state, if you're not meeting that standard at the, at the end of 11th grade, you take the, uh, the course that's called SAILS. It's an acronym that stands for Seamless Alignment with Higher Ed, essentially. Take that course, which was co-developed by the community colleges and the K-12 system, and if you pass it, you are automatically enrolled in, in credit-bearing course in any community college in the state. They've seen remediation rates significantly decline as a result, and they're beginning to see success rates for those students. So again, not rocket science, but it did require collaboration across the two systems, some investment, but they're seeing payoff in terms of dollars saved on the remediation end and, and student success rates go up. Yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned dual enrollment. It's interesting. A lot of our institutions obviously are doing dual enrollment. But, you know, we have a problem in the community colleges right now, which is our enrollments are declining. Our enrollment's always been countercyclical with the economy. So as the economy's improved, uh, we're seeing enrollments uh, plummet. And then you layer on the projections of high school graduates in this country, birth rates, um, I think a lot of our thought leaders in the sector are beginning to look at dual enrollment and some of these other things that you're suggesting as actually a tools and devices for certainly maintaining enrollment, if not growing enrollment. I mean, the, the moral of this story is that we have to reach out and serve everybody that we can uh, in terms of education, or we're just not going to have enough talent to go around. You know, we hear every year from the Department of Labor that there are uh, almost six million jobs that go unfilled. I don't think that number's moved in all the years I've looked at it. I think it fluctuates between 5.6 or 5.7 million. These are not necessarily uh, four-year college graduate uh, positions, but they do require high skills, some kind of certification. They're perfect for community colleges, and yet we don't produce the people. Uh, a lot of these strategies, it seems to me, and I'll let you react to this, uh, might be a perfect uh, conduit for uh, propelling some of these students coming out of high school into those educational pathways in the community technical realm uh, that would qualify them for these jobs. I mean, we talk about being in a, an era of quote-unquote full employment, but yet we have these big gaps uh, in jobs uh, that uh, are incredibly innovative and require high talent. So some of this work, I think, would, would, uh, would kind of backstop that. Uh, and I want to hear how your thought about that. Yeah, I think you're making a really good point and that the pressures on community colleges, frankly, and even four-year institutions to kind of increase or at least sustain enrollment are, are real. And I do think you're right to point to the labor market needs as the, the key answer here, that the more higher ed institutions can better align their programs with the needs of the labor market, the better. And I think that needs to go vertically all the way down into high school. So we're seeing a lot more uh, interest among K-12 school leaders uh, and even states that have set new policies around their um, K-12 school system performance metrics to be looking at career readiness now uh, in, a, in addition to college readiness. So they're trying to take a more careful look at the labor market needs where the job opportunities are going to be, and rethink their um, programs, whether it's career and technical education programs or other kind of dual enrollment opportunities. I think it's a great chance for community college leaders to work with K-12 leaders on those, uh, on those issues. Um, there's, uh, 
in our opinion, some of the most innovative work going on in the country now in some community colleges around building those pathways you're describing um, can be accelerated through partnerships with K-12. So if you take a, an institution like NOVA, like Northern Virginia Community College, which we think is doing some of the best right, work. across the river. Right, across the river, right? They are um, highly focused on building pathways into the labor market. They're very aware that a lot of the higher paying jobs in fields like technology um, can be uh, gotten with a two-year degree and, and, so, and not necessarily a four-year degree. And they're building those relationships with the employer community very strategically. So now they're looking at how they can vertically extend those partnerships down into their K-12 school systems. And NOVA has seven or eight K-12 school districts that they have in their, um, you know, in the geography there. So they have all these opportunities to build partnerships. And the K-12 systems are starting to pay attention to this because they're starting to see that success for their students does mean understanding career pathways through college, obviously, but um, they're, they're, very few of them think now that a high school diploma is going to be the ticket to good jobs, and the data very clearly shows that a high school diploma is not a ticket to good jobs and, and careers. So uh, K-12 systems are waking up to that. If you just look at the federal legislation that's been recently enacted, um, ESSA, right, the, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act that was uh, reauthorized. All the states have now put their plans in place for ESSA, where most of the dollars are for K-12 education in this country, federal dollars. And you could go from one, counting on one hand the number of states that emphasized career-oriented and even college-oriented metrics in their ESSA performance metrics to now well over half the states have done that. And if you just look at industry, uh, kind of connections. Uh, over half the states now promote industry-recognized credentials earned in high school as a key success metrics, met, metric for high school. And that's completely different from where we were five, ten years ago. So I think you're going to see more and more high school principals and school district leaders looking for ways to build those industry-recognized credentials into their uh, high schools. They're going to look for ways to build dual enrollment and early post-secondary opportunities into their high schools. And the best way they're going to do that is um, firming up those partnerships with their local community colleges, which exist in every one of these school districts around the country. So the, the time is right, I think, for community college trustees and leaders who want to do this to knock on the door of their K-12 peers or take that relationship that already exists and bring it to the next level. Yeah, so uh, speaking as someone who's traveled abroad and spent time in Europe and looked at other systems, uh, we're kind of late to the game in this concept of aligning what we uh, educate and what we produce to uh, labor force needs and economic needs. I'm, I'm glad that we're catching up. We have a long way to go. Matt, is there uh, any, what thoughts do you have? Um, let's pretend that I'm uh, board chair at XYZ Community College. And we currently don't have, uh, as far as I'm aware, a uh, very strong relationship with our local high school or even the uh, educational district board. How do I maybe go about trying to reach out? I mean, who are the players that we would need to bring to the table to have the kind of conversation that leads to the partnerships that you've been discussing? That's a great question. Um, Obviously, you want to build that relationship, as a, I think, as a community college trustee, both with the school board, 
that are in most cases elected school boards in, in the local districts, <clears throat> but also with the superintendent who oversees the school district, who's usually hired by that board. Um, if you're uh, a community college that has multiple uh, K-12 school districts, then you have a little bit of a more challenging task of building multiple relationships, but it could be that you just want to start with one or two and if you have successful models of partnership, you try to expand them. And, and honestly, it's somewhat going to depend on whether you're looking across at a, at a set of board members and a, and a leader who understand the power and importance of building the partnerships. They, they don't all get that right off the bat. Uh, but in order to help them see the value proposition, sometimes having the business community uh, part of those meetings. So if you've got your local chamber or other business organization or even employers who have a lot of um, stake in the education system in that community, invite them into those meetings. Um, use those relationships to try to encourage the K-12 school system leaders to um, value this partnership more significantly than they do. And then the other, the other thing I would recommend is take a look at <clears throat> the policies that are in place, particularly at the state that you're in. Understand the drivers that are being put in place to promote um, accountability in the K-12 schools. And I think what you'll start to find is there are these new indicators that these schools are going to be held accountable for that are about getting more kids to go successfully into college and getting more kids successfully into careers. They may be relatively new metrics, but if the community college trustees understand what those metrics are by looking at these state strategies or these state policies, they can kind of remind their local friends and peers that, hey, you're ultimately going to be accountable for these kinds of metrics, just like we feel we're accountable for outcome metrics. Uh, let's work together because we can get further together than we're going to be able to get alone, and let's build some mutually reinforcing strategies and policies here. Yeah, that's great. I mean, my, my experience suggests that it's usually the business or the local governmental agencies that kind of bring people to the table because they're living where the rubber hits the road, which is fine. But there's a lot of activity going on out there. Uh, when I travel around, I hear more and more examples of the work that you're talking about, which is very important. Uh, I can think of a program uh, several years ago, uh, actually received a Bellwether Award at the Community College Futures Assembly to address that point you made earlier about summer melt which is to create a two-week intensive boot camp for kids coming out of high school uh, to do math refresher, to address any deficits they had in terms of math, but also introduce them to their peer group coming into college with them and expose them to the college environment. And last time I looked at that, the students that went through something like that had such a head start coming into the community college. I mean, their skills were fresh. They basically didn't have to do remedial math. They knew people their own age coming in, and they knew uh, some of the uh, teachers and some of the career and guidance counselors, and off to the races. I think too many times, Matt, uh, we don't pay enough attention to the front door, and we miss the obvious. Uh, I think one of the things that I've been most encouraged about in this work is the extent to which more boards and more presidents are beginning to realize that, as you, kept, as you said earlier, it's not rocket science. Start with the obvious. Assume that these young people know nothing about college and figure out how to get them acclimated, 
uh, and uh, integrated fully into the work. You know, the other exciting development that I think, and you can agree or disagree, that I think is assisting in this area is the whole uh, work that uh, the Carnegie uh, uh, Foundation and others have done, Mathway, I mean, uh, Quant and Statway, uh, this concept, uh, the complete college of the co-requisite. In other words, just because somebody um, is weak in math or English doesn't necessarily mean they need to go into a 16-week-long remedial course. Maybe they need a two-week uh, refresher or accelerator. Uh, but most importantly, don't hold them out of all college-level work because that really uh, not only shocks the students, but frankly depresses them. Uh, so there's a lot of things in the margins that people are trying, which I think is very exciting. But most of it really is common sense, as you're suggesting, which is to think about when you were coming out of high school and what what you knew or didn't know about the transition to college. We have a system that is largely laissez-faire, and we still uh, assume that students need to figure this out as they go. We know that doesn't work. If you look at student uh, loan default, who's defaulting, why they're defaulting, if you look at the remediation rates, if you look at the swirl that we see in our institutions of students disappearing after four weeks and six weeks, the fact that there are too many students that have 60 plus credit hours and no degree, uh, I keep telling boards, you know, find those people, find those people and ask yourself the question, how did we lose them and how can we fix that? So true. Um, <clears throat> So true, and, and you used a, you said off to the races earlier in your comments, and it made me think of a, a kind of a metaphor here that I've talked about recently when we're looking at this kind of coming out of high school and going into college. And if you think of a relay race, um, the way we tend to do it in this country is not the way you would run an effective relay race, whether you're a, you know, an amateur or in the Olympics, right? You don't run a relay as a team by having the person finishes the first leg, come to a complete stop, and throw the baton 50 yards <clears throat> across the track to the next person who's at a dead stop, tries to catch it, and then starts to run. You have the first person finishing the first leg of the race pair up with the second person who starts to run alongside them for some period of time, maybe 50 yards, and takes that baton in hand almost at a full sprint. Um, so by the time the second person starts with the baton, they're at a full sprint. Why can't we do something similar with our high schools and our community colleges? Um, why do we need that 50-yard kind of chasm where you're looking across and calling out to each other and hoping that person is successful when they get to the other side? Some of the best programs we've seen are kind of throwing that model out the window. If you take the idea you mentioned earlier of advising, I think it's... Um, uh, Miami-Dade Community College, for example, that has a very effective advising structure that says we start in 12th grade. Um, we work with 12th graders, and there's a three-year advising structure that begins their senior year of high school and continues for, you know, the two years through the community college. And lo and behold, they're much more successful because they're not uh, waiting for that baton to get thrown across the divide. They're actually coming in receiving it uh, in high school and working with them to bring them along. And Pretty much every effective strategy we've seen um, 
kind of works off that metaphor. How can we start earlier through a genuine partnership? How can we align goals so we're both accountable for some of the same things? And how do we continue some of that work all the way through college uh, that began in high school? And I think fundamentally that's what we need to do. But as I said earlier, the system drivers are often sort of separated uh, and the incentive systems are often separated. So to me, when you ask about trustees, your members really hold the key because they're setting the policy for these institutions. And to the extent that they can say, we want some of our goals to be intertwined with what it means to successfully leave high school. We want to see programs that reach down into the 12th grade. We want to hold ourselves accountable for some of that, just like we want our K-12 peers to uh, hold themselves accountable for the success of their graduates. That's where we'll see the game-changing things happen, and we already are in a few places. The question is, how do we scale that across the country? Yeah, well, that was a wonderful uh, description, very visual, and I think very appropriate. And I think, Matt, it addresses two fundamental challenges. Uh, one is the issue of, of uh, pathways, uninterrupted pathway through high school and into college. It also addresses the the other issue we talked about a minute ago about transitions is who owns the transition. So like in a relay race, that transition is owned by who's passing the baton and who accepts it. And it's absolutely seamless. And if you're really good at that, you don't lose any ground. Uh, that's probably the best benediction uh, you could have given us uh, for this series of our podcast Certainly a lot to think about. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of interesting information here that they should be thinking about. I love your, your point that trustees uh, need to own this and to set policy appropriately. Absolutely correct. It's their job, and they have to be uh, entrepreneurial and innovative. So be thinking about the future, never govern from the past. Uh, Matt Gandell with the Education Strategy Group, also leads us in the higher ed for higher standards. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. A lot of good stuff to think about. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for ACCT's leadership and for our partnership, and I look forward to continuing to work together on these very important issues. Wow, that's a nice mug. Where did you get it? It's an ACCT trusty mug, and I ordered it online on their website. Look at that. It's got the definition of the trustee on there. How cool. Yeah, and they also have community college trustee t-shirts to go along with them. They make really cool gifts for boards or anybody that's ever been a trustee. Oh, really? Wow, I'm pulling that up on my phone right now. ACCT.org.